Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a late Tuesday night? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast, the first one of 2023. We've got our guy Weldon Rodenberg on the show doing our long way to recap of the 2022 Ole Miss football season. We intended to do a short podcast right after the bowl game ended and then do kind of a longer season recap on Sunday. Monday had some scheduling conflicts and then uh, your guy here had to get a new laptop. So uh, working through some technical difficulties, but our long awaited season ending podcast where we talk about what went right, what went wrong for the Rebels in 2023, the next steps for Lane Kiffin and this program heading into what is a uh, really interesting offseason uh, as this program, I don't know if it's a crossroads is the right word, but it is kind of at an inflection point as to what is next. So I'll cover a lot of that. Hope you enjoy it. One quick note, we recorded this on a Monday night during Monday night football, and we, Weldon and I often have a habit of you know, I don't know, sue us. We like sports. So we'll throw on like the Sunday night game. Usually is when we're recording kind of on another TV as we record. Um, and we were recording uh, during the DeMar Hamlin uh, episode that happened on Monday Night Football last night, which I'm sure you've seen unless you've been living under a rock. Um, Bill's player, Bill's defender goes into cardiac arrest on the field. You might notice it toward the end. I tried to cut as much out as possible. We both, like I'm sure everyone else watching just all of a sudden kind of stopped the podcast in shock. We didn't really cover anything about it. I tried to cut most of it out because we were watching it in real time. And of course, trying to you know break down the severity of it and figure out what was actually going on with no volume would have just been an absolute disaster because of course, we didn't know exactly what was going on until after we finished up recording. So just a quick note there, if you notice like kind of a um, lack of cohesion in the pod towards the end. We did take a quick break once we kind of both saw what was happening on Monday Night Football and came back up and wrapped up the podcast. So just a quick note for you there, uh, because I'm sure like many of you watching it, we were a little frazzled, a little shaken after seeing that. Um, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers uh, are continued to be with uh, Damar Hamlin. So just want to make that quick note for you, but uh, I think it's a good conversation. You'll enjoy it as we wrap up the year and the Rippy Rides pod gets started in 2023. We're back after, um, you know, some time off through Christmas and New Year's Eve. Hope you guys enjoyed the time off as well. Just hope you spend it with some people you care about and uh, feel nice and refreshed, ready to attack 2023. So anyway, good show. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the handicapping industry. They're absolutely destroying college basketball. They murdered it in profitability for bowl season. You've got NFL playoffs coming up. You're probably tired of paying the bookie. You need to sign up for Skybox Sports Picks because they're hitting at a 60% clip well over in college basketball, doing the same in both the NFL and college football, you're probably not doing that using your own brain. They're the only way to profit in the long run. All you have to do is go to skyboxsportspicks.com, find a picks package. You can do it all sports. You can do by particular sport you want. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. I'd recommend just going for the Skybox year-long all-access pass. Boom, you get an email, color-coded spreadsheet, broken up by units, you get nice organized picks, 
and you are more equipped to profit than you were 10 minutes ago before using Skybox. They're absolutely the best in the business. Just ask many of the podcast listeners and loyal customers that Skybox has that has helped them profit this football season. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Maybe go buy some merch. I'm wearing a Skybox hat as we speak. And then go find a picks package and whatever you buy on there, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase and also let them know that we sent you. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. The podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Grev. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You're about to start getting more newsletters from me as we crank up 2023, and I kind of find a new direction with the old newsletter there. But you also get discounted meats. Greg switched up the Rippy Wright special after about a year, year and a half. Now you get three bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. Lane train specials, as Greg calls them. That's about a $40 value you're getting for 20 bucks. Just go show Greg proof of subscription, free newsletter. Go collect your three bacon wrap fillets then go find all your own favorites they have so many delicious options at lb's fresh seafood they've got all kinds of delicious cuts of meat i love the tri-tip the fillet burgers all kinds of delicious sausages it is truly the crown jewel of oxford always have the utmost respect for what greg has built becoming a staple of the oxford community he wants to make your grilling experience great stop by when you're in oxford lb's on university avenue thank me later all right, here is Weldon Rodenberg on the 2022 Ole Miss Rebels football season. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's football correspondent, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Weldon Rodenberg, as we sit here on the Monday, January 2nd, here about 7 p.m. for our, uh, I guess this will be our season wrap-up pod. We'd originally had some plans to do like a little short, brief bowl recap. Couldn't get the schedule work out as uh, we were traveling and working uh, heading into the New Year's weekend. So we figured we'd just combine it all in one. Uh, what's up with you? I know you were in Baton Rouge for a little bit. I uh, made the trek back from Dallas to Oxford today. How was your New Year's, man? Uh, New Year's is great. Uh, I mean, we were going to do a little recap of the bowl game, like you mentioned, but I was in a wedding uh, the day after. So I had like all the rehearsal stuff on that Thursday, had the wedding on Friday, then ended up going down to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl and had another wedding that night. Um, it's been quite a, a bender for the yeah. last four or five days, which led to no podcasting time, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, it uh, it happens. Yeah, you were quite the socialite over the last couple of days. I didn't have that much going on. I just drove to Dallas um spend some time with mc we went to a hockey game on new year's eve which is actually a very fun way to uh spend new year's eve we went to stars sharks um that's fun i've been to a stars game they were they're awesome they were my favorite thing to go to when i lived there i grew up my grandparents lived in nashville I went to preds games and they were always fun but i just enjoyed this stars game and i'm kind of over the whole like i don't know buy a ticket to like an open bar party where it's super crowded on new year's that type of stuff so a buddy of ours uh tyler whitmore had the idea he's like why don't we hit the hockey game i was like that's a great idea so we had a good time doing that always uh an entertaining product there but uh back and ready i guess to start this 2023 i guess to start this conversation so we'll kind of hit some big picture stuff we'll probably hit some of the bowl game as well but Ole miss loses 42 to 25 to Texas Tech to close out the year. The Rebels started 7-0 and and then lost five of their last six games. I guess, well, I know the bowl game happened, what, like five, six days ago at this point, depending on when people are listening to this. But I guess we'll start with a couple of quick bowl thoughts. There were a lot of games I thought that way, uh, ways that game would go. 
that was uh, certainly not one of them, the way it actually ended up playing out. Uh, Ole Miss didn't have any opt-outs. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. I figured Texas Tech might give them a little bit of trouble offensively, but Ole Miss not being able to do much offensively, turning it over that many times, the turnovers on downs. I don't know. I just had a couple ways I thought that game would play out in my head, and that that certainly wasn't one of them. It almost felt like Ole Miss didn't really give themselves much of a chance from the start because of uh, the hyper-aggressive play, play calling uh, coupled with the turnovers, then it really just didn't seem like they were able to do much up front at the line of scrimmage for the majority of the night. So just really one of those games that did not feel like the Rebels night really from the jump. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it was kind of a, you know, when you look at bowl games, a lot of times, especially when you're you know picking and betting and whatnot, you're, you're always worried about like who really wants to be there and like who really doesn't. And from the crowd to the the coaching staffs on both sides, it really felt like Texas Tech, I guess, because I don't think they went to one last year. New head coach, won a few games in a row, whereas Ole Miss was like literally the exact opposite on almost every spectrum you can you can count. Um, really proved they wanted to be there. Um, they, they played really, really well. Ole Miss, I mean, if you count all of the fourth down misses plus the four turnovers, basically turn the ball over nine times. And yeah. you will never win a football game doing that. Um, I'm not going to put too much stock into a bowl game because they're just a glorified exhibition and it's, it's, they've become less and less important, you know, over the years with the playoff and just everything included. But we kind of discussed after, you know, the the semi December signing period, the whole Auburn ordeal that like Kiffin kind of had to do a few things to get the fan base back motivated and and ready to go. And, you know, two of those were, you know, finished really well in December and then, you know, maybe try and win a bowl game. And like those two think it the nine wins, ten wins, nine wins, you know, that's just numbers, but they mean something, at least to some people. Um, and of course, I think it's well documented. I didn't think December went great. Uh, and then this bowl game, you know, like I said, not going to put super crazy emphasis on it, but it definitely didn't go very well either. Um, so, I mean, I mean, that's basically it. Uh, I thought defensively, as though they were put in pretty terrible positions, I thought they played really well, all things considered. I know they obviously they scored whatever was it, 45 points, but I mean, one of those was a returned onside kick of all things, plus, you know, like five possessions inside their own red zone to start. So, I mean, that happens, but uh, I think you saw some guys make some plays, some guys that will be back uh, that we haven't seen a whole lot out there playing pretty well. So, I mean, there there's some positives to take from it, which I think um, is important. But, yeah, it wasn't a great product and honestly a pretty pretty tough game to watch if you're an Ole Miss fan for, I mean, for a lot of different reasons I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah, I mean, you talk about bowl season, you talk about motivation, and there's, you know, Ole Miss didn't have any opt-outs, as I mentioned earlier, and there's really no, like, real reason for them to be, like, disinterested or not motivated, but I do think they were certainly disappointed to be in the Texas Bowl, given where they were. At the yeah, end that's that's a much bowl. better way to say it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's it's one of those things, but Texas Tech was definitely more motivated to be there. You mentioned it and outlined it well, like, first-year head coach, they didn't go to a bowl game or they went to a bowl game the year prior. They beat State in the Liberty that's Bowl. That's right. That's but, right. But different head coach, different whole deal. I mean, they ended up – I mean, they fired the coach, right? Um, yeah, yeah. They fired the coach. Sonny Cumby was their interim for the last little bit, I think, for that bowl exactly game as well. Right. He takes the full-time gig at La Tech. Exactly but right. um, point being, first-year head coach, they finished the year pretty well. They were in a lot of games. Um, You know, gave Oklahoma State a pretty good run for their money with a couple of other upper-tier um, Big 12 opponents. But it definitely seemed like they were kind of more jazzed to – 
to be there. And then, as you mentioned, like the short field and everything and the not essentially nine turnovers, it would have, if Ole Miss had won that game with the four turnovers and the five turnovers on downs or whatever it ended up being, I think it was a total of nine between the two. I would have actually been pretty astounded. That would have been more of the, one of the more impressive accomplishments I had seen in a while. And it's hard, like you mentioned, to put a ton of stock into this game as a whole. I think Kiffin probably coached that way to a larger degree. I mean, the guy was kind of in full PlayStation mode. I mean, they had, they were, he went forward in his own territory a couple of times. He opened the game going forward in plus territory. I believe that was a fourth and seven at the uh, Texas tech 38, but I mean, hell he converted one, like what he was it with, is it their own eight? It was like their own eight yard yeah. line or their own 12 at one point. He was just in full effort mode. And it didn't really work out that well, but also again, bowl game exhibition. Like, I don't know how much to put, like blame him for that. I don't know how much differently I would have done. If you were really, really trying to win that game with a lot of stakes, there's some of the calls are probably a little bit different, but be that as it may, they lose the game. It's just kind of one last chapter of really a sour taste in their mouth over the last two months of the season. And I guess that's really probably where the conversation that most people want to hear lies is Ole Miss starts seven and oh. They lose that game down at LSU. Then they have the kind of back and forth win. They pull one out against an A&M team that I thought played pretty well that night, despite as bad as A&M had been um, for most of the season. And then the Auburn thing really kind of starts to ramp up. And once that happened, you know, Ole Miss goes, what, 0-4 down the stretch? Um, didn't perf- Didn't look like the same team, particularly post-Alabama. I thought the offense really dropped off in the second half of the season and Kevin gets a raise to 9 million bucks a year. I think it's like 8.7 next year, but nine with incentives, but they give him a sizable raise in the second half of the season did not mirror, um, you know, the amount of money that Ole Miss is now paying him. I, you know, people got mad at me on the message board about that. I didn't really, some of it was tongue in cheek. Some of it was being a little provocative. It's Twitter. There's not a ton of room for nuance there. But it just it doesn't seem like the greatest look ever where he kind of coaxes the university into that raise, really kind of holds their feet to the fire from the NIL standpoint. And the product really over the final three games, Alabama game notwithstanding, because I thought they played pretty well. They just couldn't finish the job off was just not a great look. And now what does that actually mean? I don't think a ton. I think the clock kind of ticks on Kiffin now. Right. Like everything is about 2023 now. But, you know, you give him the big contract, you give him the extension, you fight him off, you keep him from Auburn, whatever factors may have actually contributed to them staying at Ole sure. Miss. But now it feels like the honeymoon period has ended for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. I think it probably ended somewhere toward the end of that Arkansas game to the Egg Bowl, because I think the Egg Bowl was probably a bit of a more unforgivable loss in that respect. But that's really kind of what these last three to four weeks of the 2022 calendar year and the end of the 2022 season felt like for Ole Miss is they've invested, they gave him the money, they gave him the resources. Now what is he go do with them? Because again, the prelude to it, the kind of little taster or teaser or appetizer, whatever you want to call it, was not a pleasant one, Uh, not a pleasant sight on the eyes for Ole Miss fans ever since that contract started to get drafted, it was eventually signed. They just didn't have a lot go well for them. And that's not going to fly going forward, simply put. No, it's definitely not. Um, I don't really usually focus too much on money, though I understand why, you know, you would, because, you know, you pay a coach top 10, top five, top eight, whatever it is, uh, money, you expect those kinds of results. 
Um, I don't know if those things are technically correlate just to where Ole Miss is at uh, in you know just the realm of college football in general. Um, but it's understandable to to expect more than what they got down the stretch, and it's it's more concerning because they played. I thought I really do think they played incredibly well. You know, it's you know hindsight. Yeah, maybe the seven zero was a little fraudulent. It's also something a lot of us predicted including both of us here, that that's what they were going to be. Um, a few bounces here and there, you know, a golden opportunity to be Alabama. And then you don't know what the motivation and the stakes are down the stretch and how they perform. You don't know. But what we do know is what happened, uh, which was not very good, um, to put it in the simplest of terms. Um, and it, it's, I mean, it's not super concerning and it's over. And now they have to do a pretty full rehaul, which is their strategy going forward in the portal to potentially, you know, lose a few more players, add, you know, close to 24 potentially. Um, that's just – that's a lot of intaking. That's a lot of work to be done, not including, you know, the potential for for other high school kids before February. Um, it's going to be a very, very busy few weeks leading up to that day and the day where all the portal kids get to come to school. I think it's like January 30th or something. I don't really know what the official date is. Um but then that'll end the 2022 cycle. And then 2023 comes around, you know, what coaches are gone, what coaches stay. Um, is there a philosophical reset of, okay, I'm here now. Um, do we decide to change things or are we going to go by the year by year, you know, roster management focus that we've seen at least the past two years? Um, what happens if all this comes up again next year? You know, how does he respond to it? I think it's really a lot of the, off the field stuff that he needs to at least maybe not necessarily fix because I don't think we have enough of a sample size to assume that something is, you know, majorly broken with the way that they handle, you know, this team, this roster, this program, but things to definitely look into. Um, and that's where he's going to have to earn the 9 million. It, it won't be from his on field performance. I think this team has a chance to, to potentially be better next year. Um, especially depending on how they do in the portal. Um, but it all depends on the coaches. It all depends on how do they finish in the portal. Um, we know they have an incredibly difficult schedule. How does he handle a potential early loss to Alabama? Does he just do what happened this year and just completely – I mean, he didn't throw the last two games, but he sure as hell didn't look like he was overly interested, especially in Arkansas. Um, I mean, you have a back-to-back LSU-Alabama. I mean, that's not even considering the fact that Tulane just beat USC the Cotton Bowl. Brings his quarterback back next year. Um, I mean, that's sure as hell not a chalk-up win. Uh, Willie Fritz is a pretty damn good football coach. Um, it's not doom and gloom by any means, but there's just a lot to be done. And they've you know kind of put that you know on themselves. This is the way they've decided they're going to go about it. So if that's the way it's going to be, you have to expect to have positive results with it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, I was trying to identify maybe like a turning point in the season. And I know they did go one and five uh, down the stretch after their schedule got a lot stiffer, which is, I mean, you know, you mentioned that both of us kind of predicted that. I don't think that was any sort of like, uh, you know, uh, galaxy brain or really like astute opinion. I think everyone knew it's like, first seven games, here it is. Then what happens? These final five and the results again weren't particularly favorable, but like if you're actually trying to identify a turning point, it seems like post Alabama game, this team seemed different because whatever they get the second half gets away from them at LSU. They lose that game. I thought they showed a ton of resolve and a ton of toughness 
to go pull out that game at Texas A&M that night where they got down early. Um, the quarterback for Texas A&M was playing pretty well. That game really could have gotten squirrely. Dart pulled a few plays really just out of his ass to keep a couple drives alive. And I thought they showed a ton of toughness in what was a good win, even though that wasn't a good team. It does seem like this team was a different team post the Alabama game. And I don't know if that's Kiffin putting a ton of emphasis on that game, whether he does that publicly, like within the building with them, he definitely coaches a little bit differently in that game. And it's definitely something you can just sense. Like that was a massive football game. It's something he's put a lot of stock into. And you heard rumblings of it after it. That seemed like a really hurt and dejected locker room um, after losing that game because they had it there for the taking. And then the final two games really kind of just spoke for themselves, right? I mean, they just, they kind of no-showed the Arkansas game. They got absolutely blitzkrieged in that one. And then I don't know what happened in the Egg Bowl, per se. I tend to buy in a decent bit to the fatigue aspect of it. Those guys played a ton of snaps in that Arkansas game and then had to turn around and go play another football game five days later. And I know Neil has pointed this out a lot. Is like he thought it was maybe a little bit of a tactical error to continue to play your starters for as long as they did at Arkansas. Hindsight 2020, you can critique the guy after the fact you know, a million different ways. It is what it is. But it just seemed like they were a much different football team after that. And that didn't really change much in the bowl game. I know they had some time off. They seemed like they practiced pretty hard in those two to three weeks leading up to that bowl game. But it's I was I guess maybe if there was a surprising aspect of the bowl game is that there were the same issues were still there. Right. They didn't pass block very well. They weren't getting very good push. Um, offensively uh, up front in the running game and the offense became rather predictable and they really struggled to consistently to move the football. And I guess if there was a surprising aspect of that bowl game to me, it's the fact that against, you know, what seemed like a pretty average opponent, no offense to Texas tech, it's that none of that really looked any different than it did in the final two games. And I think that's the concerning part. If you want to like outline something that's like, all right, what's up here, in 2022 that probably just won't fly in 2023 is losing to three pretty average teams in a row in Arkansas, Mississippi state, particularly at home in Texas tech. That part was surprising to me. And I think that's probably um, the most damning aspect of it. If there is a ton of meaning to it at all, if that makes any sense. No, it does make sense. Uh, I think when you bring back up like your expectations now um, it's your expectations are now to beat the teams that are equal to you. Um, yeah. You know, you can say you're a better program, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Texas Tech. Sure. I mean, sometimes you are, sometimes you aren't. It is what it is. Um, but a lot of the knock on Kiffin is his, his lack of a, a real signature win against a really good program. Uh, I mean, there's examples that you could point to uh, in Arkansas last year. Um, I know some people say Texas A&M last year. I think that game was a lot bigger for Ole Miss than it was for A&M. Um, but it was a big night. So it, it counts to some extent. But Going into next year, you're going to have ample opportunities to do so. Um, and that's why my biggest concern, of course, is, you know, if they end up going losing on the road to Tuscaloosa, which, you know, happens to a few teams here and there. What does this team look like going down the stretch? Um, you know, this can be a portal heavy. Do those kids give a shit? Um, you know, I, I think they did overall a pretty good job of having a lot of these portal guys buy in this year. I mean, you saw Jackson Darger starting quarterback. He became a pretty big team leader. Um, Mason Brooks seems like a great teammate, even though he really didn't play a lot. Um, Zach Evans, you know, no real disciplinary issues, just couldn't stay on the field enough. 
Um, they're going to have to redo all of that. Um, you're going to have different kids. You're going to have the high school kids like Aiden Williams and Perkins who are expected to contribute immediately. Um, so overall, I think they have a chance to even be deeper, which at this point you sure as you, you, know, you better as hell be, um, or some better way to say that. Um, but you're just going to have to win big football games. That's what you get when you pay $9 million. And like I said, you know, what's the coaching staff going to look like? What's the roster going to look like? There, it's so much change, so much ebb and flow with the way football is these days. It's hard to even sit down and go win, loss, win, loss, because you don't know what you look like or what anyone else looks like. Um, but it's going to be a pretty big year. Uh, I know that the, a lot of people are looking to 2024 with just the guys on the team, plus the way that, uh, you know, the 12-team playoff, that, like that could be a year where you're really competing for stuff. Uh, but you don't just get to throw away next year just because you have a really difficult schedule. Your goal now is to compete to win the West every year with the coach you have, the money you have invested, the NIL that at least is assumed that they have. Um, there's really no excuses anymore. Um, there should be no more coaching drama anymore. And if there is, then at some point you're really going to have to sit down and be like, well, what's the goal here? What's the foundation here? What's the point of all of this? If we have to go through this entire cycle verbatim, you know, with the portal, with the coaching stuff, you know, every single year, you're just kind of, it's two step forwards, you know, one step back every single time um, or one step forward, two steps back, depending on your, you know, glass half full, half empty point of view. <laughs> So it's a lot, um, you know, and I, you know, am not going to count them out being able to pull a lot of things off in the positive direction. Um, but it is absolutely a huge task going forward. Yeah, it is. And when you talk about, you know, the Kevin gets the bump mm -hmm. in pay and he gets it to nine million dollars a year. Now, I understand why Ole Miss had to do that. Right. I mean, the, from the sheer optics of it, you couldn't just balk and say, oh, oh no, 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 it's like that's the market that you, you can't. A hundred percent. Exactly. And so it's not, it was never dumb for them to pay that money. I mean, look, for all the things that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks that like he, he has not done, the guys made a pro, uh, Ole Miss a nationally relevant program in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, it's it, it, 2019 was not that long ago when they were four and eight and really just kind of embarrassing themselves on national television um, in the Egg Bowl with the whole piss and miss thing. Like that thing is really not that long ago. And the turnaround that Kiffin's orchestrated from, you know, the COVID season where he goes five and five and honest to God, that's probably an eight win football team in a normal non-COVID year where you're not playing the all SEC games and you got guys rolling in and out and games being canceled and stuff like that. And then of course they won a bunch of those kind of close coin flip games in 2021, 110 games for the first time yeah, uh, in read the regular season for the first time in program history. So, like, he absolutely warranted that pay bump and to fight for him against going to Auburn that hard. It was absolutely warranted. It was absolutely the right thing to do. But now it just feels like the ball's kind of in his court. That was probably the biggest change that we saw over the last three to four weeks of the season is Ole Miss usually – now, granted, they haven't always been the greatest road team under Kiffin, and shocker here, uh, spoiler alert, it is hard to win on the road in the SEC, but they, I feel like 2021, they beat that version of an Arkansas team on the road and find a way, and they sure as hell win the Egg Bowl at home. So they started, and I guess if you want to throw the bowl game in there, they just kind of started losing to teams that you thought, oh, they're probably better than all three of these teams if you just stack it up on paper, whereas the first, uh, the first two years of the Kiffin experience before that, the first two and a half, if you want to go to Kentucky and Troy and whoever else in the first half of the season, they didn't really do that, and they handled their business 
pretty, uh, I hate to use the word pro mindset, but pretty professionally, right? I mean, Vanderbilt ended up being a pretty scrappy team toward the end of the year. They get down early in that game, but really just kind of dismantle them in the second half. And you didn't see them do that against opponents they were as good or better than over the second half of the 2022 regular season. And I think that's probably what, like, if you want to talk about what are the differences in expectations now, I think you highlighted it pretty perfectly at the top of that. Now that you have this NIL, you have the resources, you've got the buy-in and the financial investment, it's winning the vast majority of those types of games versus going 500 or hell as the way they did this year, lose the last three down the stretch against three beatable opponents. That's the biggest change, right? Because you look at the schedule next season, you have, you have to go to Tuscaloosa, you have to go to Athens, you play a road game at Auburn, and you play a road game at Mississippi State. Like if you're just ranking their four toughest games, whatever you want to make of LSU and AM, they do get those at home. Like those are the, like with those, I guess, tough games built in, you better win the vast majority of the coin flip games in the middle because they could do, if they went nine and three next year, I think that's a really, really damn good year heading into 2024 where you think this cycle is going to peak. You know, you got Dart as a junior at quarterback, the talent cycle is kind of reaching a peak. And you get a 12-team playoff. But if you take a huge step back and go like six and six, then you kind of start ask, ask, have to start asking some questions as to where this whole thing is going. And I think that's probably when you talk about next season and the importance of not only the record, but just how it looks, that's probably as important as anything in all of this is how do they fare against the teams they're supposed to beat next year? Because that's going to turn, go a long way in determining how that season looks optically. No, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of uh, other you know things to discuss are the same things that popped up throughout this entire year. Um, the kind of you know what's the defense look like next year? Are we running the same three you know three three five, which um, clearly is successful? Uh, a certain team runs it that is now playing in the national championship no game. Kidding. So you know I'm not going to tell anybody what scheme they should and shouldn't run. Um, the offense on non-script this year was was pretty terrible all in the entire season. Um, that adjustment really was never made once. Um, what, what do you do with that? Um, and I guess obviously goes back to, you know, who's calling the plays next year. Is Charlie back? Does Lane take over? Um, and I mean, I don't want to be super harsh. And I understand that the, the schedule is what it is next year, but you're now paying for a floor of eight wins. Yeah. Truly. If it's below that. Absolutely. There, there is a real problem, um, not only because of just the expectations placed, but because the roster is good enough to do so. Um, and I think if they do what they think they can do in the portal and what, you know, at least in the past, they've shown a, a, a ability to do is is add on to it, you know. Um, so it, it's tough to say it's 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 a lot, um, but I, I think you have to expect that at this point or at least come close to, I, I just, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things I mean, they don't have a backup quarterback right now. Um, they need to really, you know, completely overhaul this offensive line. Um, I mean, they're losing some guys. They got some guys back, but returners don't necessarily mean much because um, that was one of the worst performances offensive line wise I've seen, you know, from this Kiffin coach team ever against Texas tech. I mean, it was terrible. Um, but I know that they have some talent on that team. You know, I know the kids are young, but there's got to be something done there. Uh, you've got to have some linebacker play. I know Perkins is coming in, and I think the world of that kid, but he is a true freshman. You know, it, it's not a guarantee. Wide receiver, same thing. 
They brought in, you know, Chris Marshall and Trey Harris. I love Trey Harris. Looks like he's going to be an awesome player. Chris Marshall is an absolutely nothing ever in college. Um, he is all world talented ability wise, but has never proven anything. And, you know, we kind of seen that, you know, not just with Ole Miss, but all over the country of, of kids bringing in or programs bringing in kids that are highly rated, but didn't, you know, work out their first place. You know, it's kind of a fool me once, you know, fool me twice situation. You never know what you're going to get. Um, so, I mean, there's glass half fulls and have empties thoughts to all of that. It could all work out. Some of it could work out. Some of it can't. Or it could all really, really crash. And I think that's the only real scenario where you you get to a point where you end up in a six and six or even worse, um, though I don't predict that being the case. But just the way that they have it, all the, you know, uncontrollable variables that have – you know, to do with, you know, going very portal heavy in roster management, it's all there. It can go all different kinds of ways. And I think that's the exciting and also, you know, concerning part of the way that they've gone about this. I wrote down a couple, I didn't prep you for this, but I wrote down just uh, three or four things that genuinely surprised me about Ole Miss in the 2022 season. They're not all bad things, but I will start with the bad one is the, Offensive line. I think if we'll go back and to listen to podcasts we did at the start of camp, or if I went back and looked at a couple of newsletters, I thought that would be one of the strengths of the team. It was a veteran unit for the most part. You know, on paper, you think when they uh, add Mason Brooks from Western Kentucky that you think you have one of the tackle spots. Maybe you slide James over to the left tackle and you feel pretty damn good about it. You maybe don't feel you know, totally great about the depth without knowing a ton about what you had and a couple younger players behind them, which those two guys actually ended up playing a ton. But I think maybe the biggest surprise for me was how much they struggled on the offensive line. Um, I didn't foresee them. You know, we have Dart. He was a 19-year-old second-year college player. I, I remember going into August and September thinking, wow, he's got some weapons. He's got a veteran offensive line to play behind. And he's got two really good running backs. Now, the running backs uh, definitely lived up to par outside of Evans getting hurt a couple of times. But I just thought the way the offensive line performed as a unit throughout the entirety of 2022 was a surprising disappointment. I didn't think they would have that much trouble, but I do think it became I think you saw seeds of it early on. Um, a little bit against Auburn and some against Kentucky, but really when the second half of that LSU game hit and Harold Perkins, who in their defense, nobody seemed could really block, but had a huge impact on that game. That seemed to be a foreshadowing sign of things to come um, for them in the second half of the year. I just didn't think they would struggle up front on the offensive line as bad as they did. I don't know if you felt the same way. No, I, I did feel the same way. I think it was kind of really concerning because just the regression, because I didn't yeah. think they started off poorly. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the tackles were swimming, but I think they had some veterans on the inside that played well. But towards the end, it was the veterans on the inside that were, you know, I mean, for lack of it, I mean, really bad. I mean, Nick Broker, who I love as a player and as a kid, I mean, he just did not have a great end of the season at all. Jeremy James, you know, he's probably more fit to play tackle, but he's shown, you know, more than enough times that he's a pretty competent guard. He played really bad against Texas Tech. Um, Caleb Warren, not really an impressive showing towards the end of the season or really even the beginning of the season, though he did clean up the snaps, um, really didn't notice that too much. And then you're playing two redshirt freshman tackles. They're going to have good moments and bad moments. You know, that, that that's what you get with them. I, I think pretty highly of those guys. Um, so I mean, look, they have to do it. They, uh, the, the offensive line coach was kind of 
semi-nicely asked to find another job. You brought in a guy from North Carolina State who you have, you know, close relationship with, you worked with before. Um, just from a recruiting standpoint, you know, we used to always look at who North Carolina State offered on offensive line and defensive line because, you know, for whatever reason, that university just pushes guys in the NFL. I mean, all the time. I mean, they had the first-round tackle, you know, they had first-round defensive lineman all the time. They just – for whatever reason. So, they I had like one this past year, Icky, what's his name? They went yeah, to the that's what I'm saying. I can't the say Icky, his last name. So that's interesting. That, that was some a program y'all looked at is like they know what the hell they're doing with offensive linemen. Oh, absolutely. I remember we were sitting in the office with uh, Clem at the time with Levy watching offensive linemen, and he asked me like who off – like you know, some, we're watching some random guy. He's like, what offers has he got? I'm like, oh, you know, he's got Clemson, you know, Tennessee, blah, blah, blah. I was like, North Carolina State. He's like, all right, well, clearly he could do something. <laughs> Because those guys just recruit good offensive linemen at all times. So I was like, all right, I'll log that in the back of the back of the head. So there's something there with that. Now, how long was Garrison there and you know whatnot? Who knows? But I believe that it's at least at some point of an upgrade. So you have to upgrade it. You know, you at least you think it's an upgrade. Um, you never really know. Though Thornton, I think recruiting wise, you know, showed you know, he had some real ability to do that. Um, so who knows? But I, that was probably the most shocking and maybe we were just too high on in the first place which I think is always possible but I think towards the the end of the season like I mentioned like three times in this rant it just really got bad it did and I just I was going to go to the next one that was actually a positive but just a quick sidebar because I think that's an interesting point you bring up one of the things we talked about one of Lane Kiffin's huge strengths is that guy's batting average when it comes to hiring assistant coaches in his term uh since he's been at Ole Miss Pretty damn high. Whatever. I don't know what the exact number would be if you if you go like pass, fail, hit, out, whatever. But uh, it would be enough to get him in the baseball Hall of Fame, barring a Pete Rose incident. The guy's pretty damn good when it comes to yeah. hiring coaches. Do you think that's another example that speaks to that, that he can pull a guy like that from NC State? I just assume from the kind of last couple of years, them having a Congo as the first round pick, they had another guy before that that his name escapes you right now. I was like, oh, that seems like a pretty competent hire. I didn't know it was one of those things where you actually, as you just made in that interesting tidbit of like, oh, we actually looked at them like this program knows what the hell they're doing. Do you think that speaks to his ability to hire really good, competent people? Because I just thought that really, uh, I guess, solidified that when you said that. I thought that was interesting that you mentioned NC State as a program by name that y'all looked at a lot. Yeah, I mean, and that was really just for those positions. Um, You know, you do that with certain programs all the time. I mean, obviously, if LSU offers a defensive back, got a pretty good chance they're a pretty good player. Whether they're a three-star or a five-star doesn't really matter. Um, You know, there's all of them. You know, Alabama offers a running back. You know, some of it's pretty self-explanatory, but some of them are a little bit more low-key, you know. Um, So, yeah, I mean, his batting average on, like you said, assistant coaches has been incredibly high. Um, and you know, just the way college football works, there's a rotating wheel uh, in and out of programs all over the place. You never really know what the motivations of each hiring and firing is. Um, but to Kiffin's credit, he's been pretty damn good at it. So I mean, we'll see what this you know brings with us. I, I think they already are in on offensive lineman that he was targeting at uh, North Carolina State, some kid from Maryland, if I remember correctly, or Connecticut or something crazy up there. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, I think it's a positive for sure. And I think they've got some talent in the room to work with as well. So I'm pretty high on the, that possibility. Second surprise I had written down, Quinshawn Judkins. People might be out there listening thinking, well, why the hell is that a surprise? Well, you forget the kid was an 18-year-old true freshman. There was rumblings throughout camp, preseason camp, that it was kind of like, I, 
You know, I know they added Bentley. I know they added um, Zach Evans. And then at the time, remember, Quintrell Bullock had contributed to the 2021 team. So you kind of thought about him as a third guy until you saw Quinshawn Judkins come along. Uh, you know, some he, for all by all accounts, had a decent spring and then really seeming to kind of come in his own in camp. But to even just look back and look at what he did, this kid ran the football 274 times for 1,567 yards at 5.7 yards a carry with 16 touchdowns as a freshman. He caught 15 passes for 132 and another touchdown at a clip of 8.5 yards per reception. To do that as a true freshman running back in the Southeastern Conference is really just absolutely remarkable. And I'll package that into an actual question regarding that uh, Zach Evans announces for the draft over the weekend. Um, you yeah. didn't get a ton out of Ulysses Bentley this year. I imagine they're going to try to go get at least one more portal running back. I know they added the Texas kid Riscano late in their recruiting class. They seem to be really high on him. But do, like, I guess you know, I'll give it back to you to give Judgekins his props. But do you think they kind of look at another back in the portal with losing Evans as well? Because, man, what a home run A-plus back you have in him. Now, how do you compliment him? Absolutely. Um, I think the first thing you do is you, you improve the offensive line. Um, you know, he has incredible vision, incredible toughness, uh, incredible I mean, everything. I mean, he he just was amazing this year. Um, he's everything you could ask for. He, you know, there's no words that can describe what he meant to this football this football team this year. Um, but like you said, yes, they absolutely need to go get another guy. Yes, they have Bentley left. He he showed I mean, he's a total question mark at this point. Um and then, yes, you you got the uh, Riscano kid, I believe his last name, from Texas, who when I were watching before we did the, the previous recruiting, really like him. I think he's got a big chance. But you can't just assume every true freshman running back is going to give you what Junkins got. And um, Junkins had a lot of carries this year as an 18-year-old. You would imagine he's going to get a lot next year. I think you have to find a way to not minimize carries but minimize tread. Um, yeah. you know, they're, they're ha you have to have some complimentary play. And Evans, um, there were times where he absolutely was that, but kind of a lot of the year, there's times that he just wasn't really playable, whether it was fumble or injuries or simply game plan. You know, there's there's so many different reasons. Um, you have to have somebody that you can get in there to compliment Judkins because you need him as healthy and as fresh as you could possibly have for you know the entire year. It's not an easy task to have with a running back, especially with Kiffin's ability, you know. He wants to run the football. We all know that. And he wants to run it a lot. Uh, but you have to have a complimentary, you know, really competent, talented second tier guy with Judkins to really make it all work. Yeah, you're exactly right. And they were certainly a different offense this season when they had both of those go both of those guys going at full steam. I mean, I think if you just look at the way Judkins performed against LSU versus maybe a Texas AM where that may have been Zach Evans' best game as an old Miss Rebel. Um, even though he was not at full strength uh by any stretch, they had it kind of on a pitch count, but the 16 touches he got that night were incredibly impactful. And I think that worked to Judkins' benefit. And I think that really kind of crystallized how much better both of them were, particularly Judkins when you had a functional Evans behind him. We'll go to the third surprise to me. We talked a lot about Ole Miss finding some newfound depth on the defensive line, right? They add JJ Pagese. Do you think you're going to get a jump from Taiwan Malone? You add Jared Ivey. And while they weren't terrible up front of the defense, Defensive line a lot uh, by any stretch, uh, they played a lot of guys, a lot of snaps. You didn't really have that rotation and that depth that maybe I think some of them thought, or at least some of us thought they would have going in. I, I mean, you looked at Chase would post the snap counts on the message board each week, and I think the common refrain from that 
particularly in the defensive side of the ball, was, damn, they play a lot of guys, or I say a few guys, a lot of snaps. And I thought that maybe they would have a little bit more depth, but it just didn't seem to be the case. You know, KD Hill didn't really take another step. He just kind of either stayed in place. I don't know enough about the intricacies of defensive line play and have not looked at it yet close enough to definitively say he took a step back, but you certainly didn't feel like he was as impactful as maybe he was last year. I thought J.J. Pegues was a perfectly um, productive player. I thought Jared Ivey probably was about what you thought when you signed up for him, at least in the first year. And I thought Tyler Malone showed some flashes, but certainly didn't really assert himself as a consistent force. That was a little bit of a surprise to me. I thought they would be better and deeper on the defensive line and they get all of those guys back if I'm not mistaken. So maybe that next year is when they take that step, but I thought you would see more of it this year. Yeah. I believe Katie Hill and and Tavius Robinson, who was pretty damn impressive, especially in the bowl game, but really down the stretch this season, he, uh, you know, really acquitted himself well, uh, pass rush wise and against the run. Ended up being just a really good football player for Ole Miss for a few years. And I credit to Partridge for pulling him out of Canada, uh, wherever the hell he was playing because they got that COVID season, uh, canceled for them. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it, it's pretty difficult to have defensive linemen make just game by game by game impacts when you're playing three down, unless you've got guys that are just like superstars. And I think some of these guys played incredibly well during the season. I think J.J. Biggies is a perfect athletic, big, physical three-tech. Uh, or really, he's just playing zero, uh, playing nose. That's really, really, really good. I think Tywin Malone, you saw in the bowl game, was like really flashing some ability to play uh, on the outside and in the inside. And you get some of these depth pieces back. You know, Aiton and Gordon are not never going to be superstars, but they, they're fully capable of playing and playing pretty well. Um, but you – you just have to upgrade that still. You know, they only signed, you know, I think Jamarius Brown was the only defensive lineman they signed. Has a chance to be a really good player, but he's a true freshman. This is the SEC. You know, the idea that he's going to contribute immediately is a little far-fetched. Um, what the portal, I would imagine that's going to be a huge emphasis is not only getting guys to continue to rotate them in and out, but having competent guys coming in and out and even potentially elite guys playing. Um, you know, they'll have that opportunity to find them in July and these coming few weeks. I don't really know any of that are out there, uh, but there's definitely a possibility. Um, I, I think it's got a chance to still be really good next year, but like many positions on this team, it, it's kind of an unknown at this point. Yeah, and they added Josh Harris from NC State in the portal, was a four-star kid coming out of high school. I think he was a three-star portal guy. I don't put a ton of stock into that. Yeah, my well. understanding is that he's – He's like a, a zero only. He's like a nose tackle only. Like he is a ginormous human being, but he he's not playing, you know, on the outside at all. Um, the, so, I mean, you need – you don't need a lot of those on your roster, but it's definitely good to have one or two. And I guess with them and Xavier and Harris, they'll have two. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a good addition. I don't really know much about him, though. And on t- on that note, like Tywan Malone, is it like next year kind of feels like I don't want to do like the put up or shut up thing because the guy was a perfectly fine contributor. But like if if you really like if he ends up being what maybe you thought you had when he comes out of high when he came out of high school, like next year feels like a huge year for him to take a jump, don't you think? Uh, it should be. Um, what's what's his baseball outlook? I don't know. I, he didn't because play he's got a pretty. Year. Freaking beautiful swing. And I mean, obviously is, you know, more than capable as a player. Obviously, I don't think he's going to be a regular rotation guy, probably a first base only. 
uh, maybe DH. I don't know what the lineup looks like next year, but it's something I've definitely paid more attention to over the years um, for obvious reasons. Um, I've always really loved Ole Miss baseball um, and just college baseball in general. But, like, is there a chance that he picks one coming up? Is that even a potential? I mean, I don't think he should. I think he's fully capable of doing both. Um, you know, it happens all the time. But uh, is that even a possibility he just chooses one? If I gave you an answer to that, I would be completely talking on my ass. I really don't know. I have not quite let, let my mind get to baseball yet. I actually had that as I was writing down some New Year's stuff this week because, like, baseball season is only 40-something days away. So probably need to start diving into that. I don't know. And I, I guess that's a good quick sidebar. How – overrated underrated is that look Plumlee was a little bit of a different thing where they're kind of like pick one look if you're a quarterback probably need to be at spring practice most of the time that's a little bit different in terms of a guy trying to play two particularly which at a place you don't see very much like overrated underrated kind of being in and out spring ball wise on the defensive line just as a former evaluator as a guy that's been in a building I'm just curious how much stock you put into being there not being there for spring and being a two sport guy as a defensive lineman um, I mean, I don't know if it's really overrated, underrated, if there's like a correct answer to that. Um, you know, missing spring practice of defensive linemen is like not the biggest deal in the world. Um, it's more about the different kind of shape you're in. You know, there's going to be football shape and baseball shape, which are two very different things for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but he'll have the ability to get that back up once the baseball season ends working into fall camp. He seems to be a pretty hard worker. Um, he came back you know, in perfectly fine shape, but, you know, didn't play a whole lot early. Um, I think they did have a pretty solid, you know, group of six that played a lot and played, you know, relatively well throughout the year. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I just I, I was just curious on whether, you know, if he gets playing time in baseball or, you know, vice versa, does not get anything. If he just decides to dedicate himself to one, would that make him you know, that much more of a significant you know, piece of football if he quits baseball? I don't think so. Uh, but you never know. Things can change. Um, but I, I liked what I saw from him when he played. Um, I, I think he's got a chance to be pretty darn good, and he's pretty versatile, can play inside and outside. Um, but I also really love him watching him uh, hit the ball 420 yards, uh, 420 feet uh, outside of Swayze. So I really don't want him to quit. I think he's a super fun player and makes that baseball team a lot more fun because I feel like he might have an opportunity, you know, to to play a little bit, a little bit more than he did in kind of mop up midweek games. But who knows? Not really like important football, but just a sidebar. <laughs> and just everything you heard, it seemed like the, the the base, not that the football teammates don't, but just like from the two sport, they, it seemed like those baseball guys loved the guy. Like he was kind of a fun presence in the dugout. Whenever he did hit that first home run, they went absolutely just ape shit. Uh, they would no, they absolutely. not get enough of that. Um, so it seems like a good kid. Kind of moving on to my, uh, I guess this is my last one. I had another one, but I'll, I don't know. I don't know how to articulate that one as much. Lack of depth. Um, depth became an issue for this team again this year. Once the injuries hit towards the second part of the year, you know, you lose Troy Brown, he gets banged up for a little bit. Cardi Coleman battled some injuries, and that really affected this team, I thought, defensively, I think, against the run uh, in the second half of the year as well. I thought they might be a little bit better depth-wise, and maybe they were. Maybe they were slightly better than 2021. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as such. But I just thought that overall, particularly on the defensive side of the football, you'd have a little bit more depth. I know I talked about that with the defensive line, but I guess it really goes for uh, the defensive front seven as a whole. I think they were probably fine at safety. They seemed perfectly fine at corner. And linebackers seemed a little bit of an issue. Again, although they got great production out of Troy Brown, do you like that to me when you look and talk about Kiffin in 2023? 
that's the biggest thing, right? How do you build roster depth? And clearly he's going to try to do a lot of it through the portal with multi-year portal guys. Whether that's a good or bad strategy, I don't know. But that seems to be a huge thing going into next year because Ole Miss looked like a different team, just like most football teams do, when all their top guys were out there for the first, you know, six games of the year. But then when those injuries started creeping in, guys started getting banged up, they got kind of into the teeth of their SEC schedule. They really took a drop off when some of the reserves had to start playing. And I feel like if you're going to take that next step into a SEC West and a college football playoff contender, the depth has to begin to look more like the teams that are doing it right now. Is it fair to say they have to be Alabama and Georgia from an overall roster standpoint? Um, no, that doesn't seem completely fair. But I do think the depth probably needs to get better as you enter year four of the Lane Kiffin era because they've been a fairly thin football team for all three years. I don't think you can like fault him too much for the first two seasons, the first one in particular, but that's something I'm looking for in this off season and into next year is can they build depth and play guys less snaps? And more importantly, when someone does get hurt, there not be a huge drop off when Austin keys has to play, or excuse me, when, when someone has to play in, tro- in place of Troy Brown or Austin keys, there's no huge drop off there. That's the next thing I'm looking for. That seems very important heading into this off season. Oh, I completely agree. Um, and it's it's not an easy thing to do. You know, there's only no, so not. many, only so many programs in the country where if your starter goes down, where the second guy is is you know really fully capable, if not on equal par, equal footing. There's a reason he's a backup. Um, but I think the depth is really it's just like overall. It's not necessarily position by position. You know, you had issues with wide receiver. You had issues at linebacker. You had issues at defensive line. You had issues at offensive line. And, you know, that all sounds bad, but, you know, for the most part, the starters of those positions were really good players. Like you said, building depth, that's the most important thing going into next year. They're doing it in a very different way. It's also incredibly difficult. It's not difficult, but building depth for the portal, it, it can be a tough sell. You know, you're, you're expecting to bring in guys that are expected to start immediately. So if you bring in, you know, however many portable guys you want to, and they're not starting – the reason they're not starting is they absolutely aren't the guys you thought they were. So then they just kind of become, you know, extra bodies. You know, I think the Vanderbilt safety, Mason Brooks are examples of that. Um, and, you know, it's not really necessarily a knock on them. It just is what it is. Um, the, the thing that I, the my biggest, not quibble, quabble, whatever, with the portal is kind of like, you know, you bring in those portal guys, you know, when they go down, you're not really replacing them with portal guys. You're replacing them with depth that you've built you know, kind of probably through the high school ranks, guys getting time and minutes. But when you're signing so few, it's like, okay, your entire, um, you know, team is is portal or it's, you know, really young, true freshman. Sorry, I'm like, really, something terrible just happened in this Bills game. And it's got my eye, which I'm always swirling okay. around right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's massively important. They can absolutely do it. I don't even know if they were deeper in 21 than 22. I kind of feel like they were actually technically deeper this year. But it just felt like it was just clusters of injuries. And right. it really, really important positions, especially in this offense, you know, not being able to rotate on the offensive line ever. You know, some teams don't do it, but the teams that really don't do it are the guys that have really full confidence in everyone that's on the field. Wide receiver, I mean, as fast as you're going – the amount of snaps that Mingo and Watkins and Heath were playing, I mean, they will never be full speed, you know, almost in the second half, which might have even been one of the biggest issues is 
You know, these guys are playing so many snaps. They are sprinting back to the ball and over and over and over again. It's just a lot. Um, I, they have the ability to fix that. They've already signed two receivers. So, you know, it's all over the place. It's everyone's issue. It's not just Ole Miss's issue. You know, you're losing players in the portal. You're gaining players in the portal. Um, that's every single team, not, not even Alabama. You know, the only one that's been – you know, semi you know, immune to it is Georgia and they, you know, are still playing. So you never know what that roster begins to look like. Um, the only difference is, of course, those guys you know, signed 25, 27 high schoolers um, to every single year to kind of backbone it and then fill in the rest, not the opposite. Will the opposite work? I'm suspect, but it absolutely can, you know, uh, we'll just have to see, but it'll be one of the big questions next year, depending on how it all shapes up and shapes out. Is this working? Is it not? Is there some sort of reason for either way? Um, and that's a, definitely going to be a Kiffin question. I'm fascinated to see it, right? Because on one hand, I'm kind of, you. I mean, look, when something, someone does something and approaches something differently, really in any facet of life, but particularly sports that's different than we're all used to, I think it's probably naturally met with skepticism. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm overly skeptical of it. It just seems a little bit hard to do, right? Because just from a 10,000 foot view without ever having worked in recruiting or worked in someone where you have to sell a transfer portal kid on his new place is trying to build depth like, I don't know. It seems like overall the portal message would be is you're here to play immediately. And that doesn't really seem conducive to building depth and adding depth. And with the few high school guys they signed, it does become a little bit of a conundrum to me. But maybe it does work because if you look at it on the other hand, is they added J.J. Pegues back next year. They added oh. Kari Coleman back next year. They added Jared Ivey back next year. They added Ladarius Tennyson back next year. You get my point. So all of those guys come back. So can you add players of those equal caliber or better across the field, wherever you may need them? And then all of a sudden you got something pretty damn good. So like, it's really kind of the second year of this portal King thing. So I'm not declaring it that it can't work. It's just so different. I'm fascinated to see it. So like, you know, he talks about these multi-year portal guys. We haven't seen that, what that looks like from a depth standpoint yet, right? Like if he can go get guys and convince them to come here, despite maybe there not being as many spots open, right? Then more power to them. Then I think they're actually onto something because you have more of a known commodity. I've been just very fascinated to see what that looks like this off season. And one more area I wanted to get to before we kind of talk about some playoff stuff and get out of here was the receiver aspect of it. I think that was an interesting part of like the depth conversation because we talked about it heading into the year. I was going to term it. They had a lot of production to replace. They just had to find a lot of production. It was the guys they inherited that had just not turned the corner, right? The Dennis and the Jaden Jacksons to where they're playing, you know, Drummond and God knows who towards the end of 2021. And I think they largely did a good job of it. You think about who they added. They add uh, Malik Heath. They add Jordan Watkins. They add Dayton Wade. They added Knox, Jalen Knox. I, I'm going to count that even though he was already on the roster and sat out last year. And then they add what Robinson from UCF. That seems like three passes and two fails in terms of production. You, I mean, Knox, we always joked about like, does, does that guy actually exist? He seems like a ghost. You didn't get much from Robinson. 
But Watkins was a perfectly serviceable SEC receiver. Malik Heath was awesome. And then I don't know what they were expecting out of Dayton Wade with anything, but clearly he had to hop over whatever bar they had for him. He was a pretty productive player for them. So it was a mixed bag, but I think probably more pass than fail in terms of replenishing the receiving core via the portal. Because I don't know about you, I think they probably needed more depth there. You remember guys playing a lot of snaps. But to their credit, it did not feel like 2021 where you're like, my God, who's going to catch a ball here? I never felt that way. No, it definitely wasn't as bad as that. But I think, you know, they have to retool it again because you're losing Mingo. I surely assume you are, at least. I haven't heard anything. I mean, I think he's out of eligibility. Actually, I don't think he's out of eligibility technically, but I think he has I think he's going to the draft. Right. Um you know, Knox and Jalen Robinson to me are, are a complete ghost, you know, not because they can't be something, but they sure haven't been it yet. Um, Heath was phenomenal. He was a perfect fit for this. He is also gone. Um, Watkins is basically exactly what you thought he was going to be, a perfectly productive, solid player. Um, you've gotten absolutely nothing out of freshmen. Uh, J.J. Henry has played sparingly. Um, you know, Braylon, uh, I think it's Burkhalter and Braylon Brown and, and and Larry Simmons, you know, some of these younger guys just did not play. So you're going to bring in more portal guys. But at the end of the day, I mean, as of right now, just thinking of receiver wise next year, guys that you that are a known commodity that they have done something in college football, you're going to have Jordan Watkins. You're going to have Trey Harris. Um and that's it. Watkins, Trey Harris, Dayton Wade can come back. No, wait, I got to look that one up. I have to look that one up. Um, you know, probably not a guy you really want out there, but credit to him for what he was. Wade has eligibility here. left. Yes. All right, Wade will be back. Um, like I said, probably not a guy to you know really put you over the hill at that position, but more than capable and played really well in a, you know, basically preferred walk-on position this year. I mean, that credit to him. That's, that's a hell of a job by him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I love, I love Aiden Williams. I think Chris Marshall has a ton of ability. It's very well known. He was very highly recruited. There's a reason for it. Haven't done anything yet. So there's still pretty big question marks out there on that position, but they're working towards building up to a point where you can be pretty, uh, pretty comfortable, but it, it's a huge need going into next year. What do you make of, I went to bring this up earlier, but so Jackson Dart, I thought overall the year was a pretty damn big success for the kid. I thought he showed he was tough as nails. I thought he showed some signs of being a really good SEC quarterback. And I also don't think he was working, um, you know, with the most optimal situation at times from the offensive line issues to um really that was kind of the main thing I think a lack of protection the running game was sporadic at times although really good at other times what did you make of the Pete Thamel report that the Ole Miss expressed interest in Spencer Sanders the transfer from Oklahoma State look there was a I I don't want to butcher this but I did notice on the message board the other day there was a post about another Ole Miss site had suggested that they had interest in Sanders because the staff wasn't fully sold on Dart running this offense. I think that's probably a leap, the second part of that. But clearly there is some truth to them, like kicking the tires on Spitzer Sanders. I'm just curious what you make of it, because the sense that I get is that they really like Dart. They do need another quarterback regardless of it, but that's not necessarily who maybe I thought they would target because that's a kid that's going to come in and look and play 
look to play immediately, him being Sanders. What did you make of that whole thing? I just thought it was interesting um, and maybe not necessarily the direction I go in. Again, despite them needing another quarterback next year, bar nothing, whatever you think of Dart. Oh, they have to get one. Um, There's no doubt about that. Um, Spencer Sanders, I don't know who the hell is advising him to come to Ole Miss because he is not starting over Jackson Dart. I mean, if he I don't, wants I wouldn't think play, so either. If he wants a new place to play, he can go, you know, be Spencer Sanders at Auburn or something or somewhere else because he he is not as good as Dart. Um, not, in my opinion, it, no chance. Um, would it be awesome if Ole Miss got him as kind of a mix-it-up backup quarterback? Hell yeah. You know, I'm, t- I'm taking him, but he, he's not – I, he's not starting over over Dart next year. Um, and I can't imagine why he would want to do the latter as an older guy. hundred percent starting. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I think there's things Dart can improve on dramatically. Um, I think the deep ball is one of those things. Uh, I think just simple intermediate throws. I think he pretty he struggled on slants and, and you know kind of those kind of RPO plays that Corral excelled at. Dart has a little learning curve. Um, I think he's got to learn to slide <laughs> um, because if he, he can't do that again next year, especially if you don't have a solidified backup or one that you trust. Um, because, I, I mean, I had a feeling they probably trusted Luke Altmyer to play, but he kind of was barely available. Um, cut Got to cut down the turnovers. Um, but he showed you flashes of why they have high hopes for him and why I have high hopes for him. Um, I don't think he was at all – the issue this season uh, and really any football game. I know, you know, Texas Tech didn't end well, but it's not. He was put in fantastic positions uh, in that game, but they needed a guy. I don't understand the Spencer Sanders thing. Um, Like I said, I'd take him um, for, you know, because he's a quality football player, but I think Darts are starter next year, uh, barring some crazy quarterback in in the portal. But um, Dude, are you watching this Monday Night Football game? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to get distracted as we record this. This is not like your typical neck head injury. I, I, I apologize for the bad podcasting here, but they they hooked the guy up to an IV. What is going on here? I mean, they, they completely went away from the game. I mean, I kind of – They I'm went back to back, studio. Yeah, I mean, they're not playing – I mean, my uncle said that they were, like, giving him CPR. I mean, I think we have, like, a pretty horrific situation on our hands. Man. Um. I don't know. Um, he, my brother, he may be okay. I don't think they would keep playing if he didn't have a pulse going into ambulance. Ugh. God. Ooh. Terrible. Sorry to the bad pod yeah. and all. But, I, mean, I was kind of weird. Not about, I, I know, couldn't figure out what was going on with that either. Yeah, I don't really know if we had to do like a live cut-in, but like, Jesus, this is, it looked terrible. Um, back to Ole Miss. Sorry about that. I'm, I've been distracted. I'm in a huge pick five pool, which I've mentioned a few, few times on here, and I'm in third place. I have Buffalo, the two leaders, my cousin and the former golf pro at Badgers Country Club of all places uh, are ahead of me. And they have Cincinnati. So, I mean, I've been like locked in on this game. And I mean, it's just terrible. Ugh. Um, but yeah, uh, Jackson Dart, good player. <laughs> so year three, uh, next year for Dart going to be an interesting one in terms of just how far along he comes with his development. Um, really one of the last things I had before we get to the playoff stuff and get out of here is the Kiffin aspect of this is you went through this off season. He kind of, uh, this season, he went through the song and dance with Auburn. He did not end up taking the Auburn job. He gets a big um, extension um, and uh, a big pay raise, but now it kind of seems like the ball is a bit in his court. 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this. It seems like it's been, everything's been a year to year thing with Lane Kiffin and college football is a sport. If you have long-term success, that's clearly just like any other, you know, industry or stability or uh, industry or like company is built on stability. And the idea that you're going to build for the future and things to come and year after year after year. And I just, maybe it's the case and he just doesn't like to mention it and he likes to focus on the here and now and the pro mindset and all of that. But I I can't help feel like that, like some holes have been poked in that theory from the way they finished this 2021 season. Do you think there has to be some sort of change in demeanor from Kiffin and how he talks about being at Ole Miss and being at the program and at least alluding to the future, because it just feels like for the first three years, this felt like this has been with incredibly positive results for the most part, piece to piece together as a year to year thing. But if you're looking for long-term viability and actually winning at the level that they're now paying him to win at, it does feel like there has to be some sort of commitment or like demeanor change, or I don't even know what to call it about actually kind of acting like you give a shit about being there past the next 364 days, if that makes sense. No, I mean, that's what you should expect. Um, I know we may never get this, but for the life of me, there's only one thing I want to know in the world, and it's it's what the hell happened with Auburn. <laughs> if I, you know, you can tell me where who killed JFK or you know anything else. I want to know um, what on earth happened there because that tells you a lot. You know, if it was a situation where Kiffin decided, you know, Ole Miss was a better fit, you know, the ideal situation if you're an Ole Miss fan, that being the case. Um, then, yeah, you have to expect a different kind of buy-in, a different kind of management of the program, a different kind of forward-looking, you know, a forward outlook. Um, but there's also the possibility that Auburn backed out on him, you know, a, a very real one. Um, and then it's like, well, what are you going to get from Kiffin then? It's a situ- It's something that we may never know. Um, maybe some reporter will be able to – find out this secret or, you know, he doesn't talk to many people, but there's maybe there's something out there that we can infer on what really happened there. Um, because I think it's important. I, I think, I think it's incredibly important to know. Um, you probably never will. It's probably a fruitless effort to discuss it. But when you're talking about the future of the program with Lane Kiffin at the head, you have to at least have an idea of where his, his mindset's at. Does, does he actually want to be here or has he just been, you know, looked over for the, you know, guess third consecutive season almost. Um, and, you know, if it's the way that I think a lot of Ole Miss fans, you know, want it to be where he where he you know, decided that Ole Miss was better and he didn't want to go to Auburn, a uh, better situation for whatever reason, financial, more financial incentive, uh, more an aisle incentive, then, yeah, what you explained, like, should be just a, a precursor. It just should be a guarantee, not a guarantee, but just an understanding that there's going to have to be a different level of buy-in. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, shaking hands and holding babies um, like he did when he first got here. Uh, but just from a, an outlook, from a roster management, from a, a PR aspect, um, no more bullshit whiny complaining, you know, if you don't get a kid, you know, no more NIL complaining. You know, no more woe is me. Like, you know, Twitter is his thing, but like you're in a situation where you're making $9 million with supposedly a lot of NIL money in a pretty damn good football roster. Like act like it, you know, don't play the underdog at all times. You know, I mean, you just, there has to be a different mental mindset. Maybe you never get it from Kiffin. You know, maybe this is who he is. 
you know, it, it's, you know, double-edged sword, you get the good, you get the not so good. And even the not so good isn't really always that big of a deal. And the good is really, really, really good. Um, but after this Auburn situation, there's already animosity, you know, after the bowl situation that kind of added on a little more, whether that's fair or, or whatever or not, um, it, it's just a fact. So I, I think you're exactly correct that the on-field product needs to be better, especially from the end of the season. But I think the off-field product is is something that's going to be fascinating to watch moving forward as well. Yeah, it really is, because I, I do think that is going to be important to some degree. Um, and I think there's probably a longing look. You talk about like fan cap, like capital he had with the fan base and what that actually looks like after the final five weeks of the season. And you have to look at the whole picture again, as I've kept pointing out at the top of the podcast throughout, like Lane Kiffin has made Ole Miss nationally relevant. He was one at a level that Ole Miss really hasn't consistently won at over a long period of time in quite some time, right? You had the little, you had a blip um, through the Hugh Freeze years that got derailed by a million different things, but Kiffin is clearly the best coach Ole Miss has had in some time, but now they're paying him like that. They're paying him like a top six, seven coach in the sport. And that is now going to warrant heightened expectations that is now going to warrant better results and it was just an interesting because everything had gone so well in the Kiffin era all the way up until they start seven and oh the second half of the season did not really jive with the way the off the field stuff played out in terms of Ole Miss keeping him away from Auburn locking him up with the gigantic race it was just a very bizarre situation to see Ole Miss be able to fight off Auburn to be able to sign him to a big boy contract but also go one and five on the field over the final six games there's just something strange about that to me and I don't think Kiffin is the coach you saw in the final six games like going one and five but is he the coach that was 19 and three over those 22 game stretch? Like, I think that's the, probably the million dollar question. And we're about to find out where does he fall between those two extremes between the final six games of 2022 and what he was for all of 2021 and the first seven games of 2022, that 19 and three stretch versus the one and five stretch. What is he? He's paid to be like the 19 and three stretch. Granted, that might be a little bit, of an exaggeration, but like that to me is kind of the million dollar question going into all this. And it's really on him. He's got the resource. He's got everything to figure it out. I, I, I don't really know what else to say about it. I'm just fascinated to see how it plays out. I think it's something you're about to see from programs that are in the similar tier of TCU. It, it's the mindset change of if you do it well, you can, you can win the entire thing. Um, I think Ole Miss and TCU are wildly similar programs for, for different reasons, um, but it's similar stature. You know, TCU is obviously private um, with a shit ton of money um, in fertile recruiting. Ole Miss is public with a lot of money in fertile recruiting. Um, yes, they play in the Big 12 and Ole Miss plays in the SEC in the hardest division in football. I totally get that. If you really look at their schedules this year, though, TCU probably played a more difficult one um, just week to week to week that um, they beat a lot of really good teams. You just don't, there's no excuses. And that's not an Ole Miss, like you don't have any excuses, but like every, like Arkansas's, Ole Miss's, North Carolina's, South Carolina's, all these programs that are kind of have the ability to do more, but are always kind of on the precipice, which is what exactly what TCU has been. They just broke through. I think that's going to begin to put a lot of pressure on programs in similar arenas, you know, even in their own state at Texas and Texas A&M. So I think the 
you know, the price of doing business is about to go up in that tier of college football, especially, you know, the more irrelevant that the the group of five is becoming, you know, each year. Um, it's maybe a, a loose, you know, corollary, but I think it's something you're going to begin to see. It's like, wow, you know, it actually can be done. Um, so you got to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. And that, as we get it, that's probably a decent segue into the playoff aspect of this. You now have your national title game set. We got two of the, the two best playoff games we've had in conjunction together since this thing was started, just two incredible games, TCU and Michigan kicks it off. And then you have Ohio state, Georgia in the nightcap, both games go down to the wire. Both games felt like marathons of football games in their own right. And you make the TCU comparison, Sonny Dykes in his first year, Right. They go undefeated. They don't win the Big 12 championship game. Kansas State clips them in that. But they were the clearly the best team in the Big 12 for the 2022 season. Um, he's a guy that utilized the portal a decent bit, but also he had a lot of talent kind of I say a lot decent bit of returning guys and talent waiting in the wings. And we're about to expand to this 12 team playoff. And it is interesting that in the first year that this transfer portal thing really kind of sets in, you don't get Alabama, you don't get Clemson. It's weird to say there's, you know, just a ton of parody in the sport when you have, you know, Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan in the playoff Michigan for the second straight year in a row. But it did feel like this was more of an unpredictable year than we've been accustomed to in college football. And as we try to shift out this kind of ever-changing landscape, do you think that's a positive for a program of the stature of Ole Miss? Because honestly, if Ole Miss had had, you know, maybe the 2021 team playing this 2022 schedule, God knows what would have happened. They may have been found themselves being the TCU. It just feels like with the portal and everything changing in NIL, I don't think the the kind of notion that, well, the haves will always be the haves and the have not or the haves not is accurate. I think you saw evidence of playing that in the season and you're about to get to 12 teams having a crack at taking a shot at winning this sucker. So like, I guess like, do you think the way this landscape is going is a overall net positive with Ole Miss, particularly having a coach like Lane Kiffin as head coach? Cause I think the early returns are, I would say the answer is yes. Yeah. I think it's definitely can be. Yes. I think you're going to see, I mean, I think you might even see it with Ole Miss pretty dramatic peaks and valleys. Uh, depending on how the portaling goes year by year. Um, I think TCU, you know, for all intents and purposes, kind of the exact same team they had last year. That team went five and seven. They dramatically improved the coaching staff. Um, Gary Patterson just, like, didn't recruit anymore. Added some some key contributors out of the portal at certain spots. And, you know, you see what they've done this year. It's been really impressive. There's also the Texas A&M's. That you know, it doesn't work out very much for. Um, you could even, you know, to a, a weirder, lesser degree, you know, Alabama, you know, the year before they had the portal hits with Jamison Williams and guys like that. This year, those guys kind of weren't the same. That's a completely different standard to to grade off of a, a little a little curve there, but it, it's just it's true. Uh, I mean, LSU last year compared to this year. I mean, this year they they hit on the portal guys, a lot of them. Um, and they were dramatically improved. Um, so I think the peaks and valleys will give the ability for certain programs to kind of, you know, outkick their coverage, uh, I guess is the best phrase I can think of. Um, but it can also turn pretty dramatically the other way as well. And um, I, I think that's makes it more fun. You know, it makes it a little more, you know, NFL-y, kind of like you hit the draft, you can do well, you know, depending yeah. on the schedule you get, where you finished. 
Um, but it, you know, it can bite you in the ass as well. Um, but I think that's kind of what's, this is a, just a full new co- a news coverage cycle. You know, there, there's something going on in college football at all times, even more than there ever was. Um, it, it's, it's pretty wild, but I do think it, it's showing that, you know, it's, it's to be had, you can do it, especially in the 12 team playoff. Um, I mean, two touchdown underdog just won a playoff game. You know, anybody is susceptible. You know, there is no great team this year. And there's years where that can change. There's years where that'll be the case. So you just really never know. It's just about putting yourself in the absolute best advantage uh, to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I wonder, like, I'm so fascinated to see what the 12-team playoff looks like. Because I think this year maybe was a little bit of evidence to take all the anti-expansion people and tell them to shove it. Right. You had no great teams this year. I think two other teams, probably at least two, maybe three other teams could have done what TCU did. Like could have interest you in Alabama being in the playoff mix. How about a Tennessee, a Clemson, somewhere in that? It just felt like particularly with the way Georgia struggled with Ohio State, there are no great teams this year. There's just a few really, really good ones. And I think this is probably this year's evidence is anything. Having teams with more seats at the table would make for more compelling drama and really just awesome college football, which results. What was more surprising to you, Ohio State playing that closely with Georgia and really scoring that much on the Georgia defense or the fact that TCU pulled that sucker off? Granted, it took a couple pick sixes. Michigan really shot itself in the foot in the worst way possible in a lot of different areas. But which one was more surprising to you? Um, That's interesting. You know, I had both the underdogs. So, you know, in my eyes, I always knew it was going to happen. <laughs> At least they're going to cover. Um, I think Ohio State is just so talented on the outside, and when Stroud is on, he's really on. Um, so I'm not really surprised they almost beat Georgia. I think, you know, maybe Nussmeyer in the SEC championship game, you know, exposed a few holes in that in that defensive backs. And, you know, Georgia really hasn't played good quarterbacks this year. They haven't really ever, you know, this year been tested down the field. And, you know, the very few times they were, they looked pretty darn susceptible. Um I was just – I'm just a huge buyer in TCU. Uh, I thought Michigan's a really good football team that shot himself in the foot. Probably is a better team than TCU. Um, but I'm just not surprised that, that TCU does anything anymore. I mean, they were a seven-point underdog going to Austin, Texas, and they beat them. You know, they've been underdogs in like five or six games this year. They just win. They couple really comeback good. wins in the mix. They were down basically for, left for dead against Kansas State and came back and absolutely. won that sucker at home. And they absolutely, if they could have just run a smart play, should have beaten Kansas State in the Big 12 game. They just quarterback sneak it in the end zone instead of, you know, handing it off or anything like that. I mean, they're just good. They're really, really good. Um, they have, in my opinion, you know, I know people love Marvin Harrison Jr. So do I. I think Quentin Johnston is a absolute superstar. Um, and they have him, they have Savian Williams, they have two really good running backs and a quarterback who is absolutely nails. Um, and when you put that together with a system that Garrett Riley's run there, you're going to be really, really hard to stop no matter who you're playing. Um, defensively, they run a very similar scheme to Ole Miss. The difference is that they have absolute playmakers on the defensive line. They have guys who can play really well against the run and against the pass. Um, they have, you know, safeties and corners who are just long, fast as shit and hit. They are incredibly physical. They're just really good. Uh, I'm not surprised. Um, will it matter against Georgia? I don't know. I mean, Georgia's a better version of Michigan. Um, TCU 
probably got a little lucky in, in parts of that game. Also, you know, they took advantage, credit to them. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating game of, you know, kind of different philosophies, different styles. But um, no, I'm not really surprised with the outcome of either game, except for the fact that clearly no one plays defense anymore. Yeah, no kidding. Those, I mean, those games are four-hour marathons. So, I mean, I know you hit on it a second ago, but do you give TCU much of a shot in the title game? I don't know how you can keep doubting them at this point, particularly when you kind of get, like Ohio State showed how Georgia's defense can be susceptible. I thought they had a really good plan. And, you know, they were a field goal from winning that damn game. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think they're going to watch a lot of that. Um, I think Kirby has really grown as an in-game coach. I, I think he's just gotten a lot better through the years. Now, he's, he's earned his scars through some some pretty terrible decisions in the past, uh, but they're going to be really ready. Um, TCU throws a ton of 50-50 balls. Georgia has a lot of athletes. Um, I haven't been impressed with their pass defense, but it, it's kind of a different attack than Ohio State. Um, I think TCU runs the ball better than Ohio State, though, so that'll be interesting. Uh, I just – the 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 defensive of TCU going up against the offense of Georgia, I think, is going to be the most important part of this game. You know, can they even attempt to stop Brock Bowers? Um, can they attempt to stop them running the ball consistently? I mean, it's definitely going to be a bender, bend don't break, force them to kick field goals kind of game. Um, Vegas line is just disgusting. It's like thirteen and a half points. Uh, so that'll be. Um, That'll be it'll be a tough task for TCU, but I I will never count this team out. I, I'm a huge fan of these guys. They they play just insanely hard at for four quarters every single game. Uh, and good teams win close games. They've done a lot of that. If it's a close game, I will absolutely not count them out. So uh, that really comes about sums it up. I uh I don't know. I'm interested. It's an interesting national title game. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like. I never would have thought we had Georgia TCU. I think everybody could have predicted one of these teams in there. Nobody could have predicted one of them. And I think you'll probably see more of that as the playoff expands and these teams have to win, you know, more games to get to that point, right? I mean, Georgia was lucky to survive Ohio State. Imagine having to go three or four rounds. Maybe you get one in an on-campus stadium. I'm just fascinated to see what the future of this sport looks like. But I do think overall, even with the NIL and the transfer portal stuff, the product is trending in an overall positive direction with the parity. It seems like there's a, become a little bit more that maybe we'll see in two years that this is just a complete one-off but uh be that as it may we'll see how it looks on monday night before we get out of here it's now time for the fastest growing segment on american soil it is soccer corner we're back from the world cup we've got epl back in business and i gotta ask you what i always start with we are now into the calendar year 2023 arsenal is seven points up on man city have your thoughts changed about who is winning the english premier league I think it's on. Uh, I think this is officially the first time on Soccer Corner where I am placing Arsenal as the favorite to win this league. Um, I mean, at this point, how can you not? I mean, they're 14 and 1 and 1. Um, they have trap games all the time. They win, they just keep winning. Um, they are impossible to just, they don't quit. Uh, they have a pretty tough injury to Gabby Jesus, their, their striker. I think he got injured uh, in the World Cup of Brazil. So that's tough to overcome, but they're deep. You know, they have young guys who have stepped up. They still have Saka, who's as informed as anybody in the world. Martinelli, their midfield's really good. Their defense is really good. They're incredibly well coached. Uh, and the most important thing is they just win. Um, they are tough as nails. So, yeah, at this point, I've been saying city, 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 no matter what. 
Um, they faltered, uh, only got a point against Everton like two days ago. Um, they haven't looked fantastic. I will not never count them out, but I think at this point I'm, I'm leaning towards Arsenal really being a the first time I've considered them the absolute favorite at this point to win the league. How big of an upset would that be? Because we talked about in the preseason how heavy, overwhelming favorites Man City was to win this league. Like, how surprising on the scale? Look, I know you had Leicester City win it a couple of years ago. That was, like, statistically the greatest, oh, yeah. like, it's the greatest like upset that. in the history of sports. But, like, how, how big of, the, of an upset would this be as poised as City did look to win this sucker? I mean, I, I can imagine Arsenal was probably somewhere around 12 to 15, maybe even 20 to 1 to win the league going into the season. Um, so I mean that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's a it's a pretty significant number, maybe a little bit lower than that. Um, Liverpool has just been, I mean, they got their butts kicked by the bees today. Um, I mean, they're in six, so they're not, you know, I mean, they're not winning it. I think they're they're probably too far back at this point. They're they're still, you know, fully capable of finishing top four, but um, it's really been a semi-two-horse race. You know, United's back in the top four, and Newcastle's there at third. I just don't think either of those teams are going to win the league. It's 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 these two, and it's kind of been these two from the beginning. Uh, it's nothing like Leicester City. I mean, Arsenal is a, is a top five club, yeah. top ten club in the world. Um, but in terms of the preseason expectations compared to winning the league, I mean, it'd be a pretty big deal, and it's something I don't think they've done you know, in a, in a minute. So it'd be, it'd be pretty big for prop the biggest club in England, potentially, especially the biggest club in London. You've got Saudi castle sitting right there in third from the time they were bought the Saudi bought by the Saudis. When we first started this soccer corner segment, we were like, all right, I, they bought some guys at the midpoint way last year. Like they, like, when are they going to start contending? And now they're here. You mentioned they're not going to, I don't think they'll win this thing either, even though I know no. nothing, next to nothing about soccer, but if you can get in the, what is it? The top three or top four place champions league, how big of a jump is that for a club like Saudi castle? I mean, it's a huge jump. I mean, just from expectations. I mean, this is what they get. You get a lot of money, you influence a lot of talent, have a really good manager that this can happen. Um, they're incredibly, it's incredibly hard to play out there. They're like the most northernmost team um, in the league, not an easy place to play. Uh, they drew with Leeds on uh, New Year's Eve, which was big for our modern day Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're in it. I think their goal, they, they, they play Arsenal tomorrow uh, at 145. Uh, that's going to be a massive game. Um, they're playing in London, I believe. Um, that's going to be an incredible game, an incredibly important game for Arsenal to take advantage of of city only getting a point in Everton and for Newcastle to solidify themselves uh, in top four, you know, contention. Um, they're, they're really, really good. And I think they're probably going to be a team that'll buy a player or two in this January window. That's coming up pretty soon. Uh, they've been really, really impressive and impressively consistent. Uh, not a lot of like huge losses or like really bad droppings of points here and there. They've just been good. Yeah, they have. And, Looking toward the bottom of the league, it doesn't seem like relegation is really kind of set in stone at this point either. I think you probably have four or five teams that are worse than the other ones. West Ham kind of matriculating downward. They seem to be on a downward one. My favorite thing is Wolverhampton Wanderers goal total. Still not going great there. They got 10 goals on the season in 17 matches. That doesn't seem great. Leeds, our guy Jesse Marks, only two spots out of the relegation zone. There seems to be about a 6-7 team race to kind of avoid relegation at this point. Do you think it stays that way, or do you think there are three teams that are worse than everyone else? 
No, I, I think it's pretty mixed. Uh, I mean, there's some teams that are – I mean, West Ham has just been a complete, you know, an utter just – they've been terrible. Disappointment, been, right? They were supposed to be better than this. Absolutely. They, they've been really bad. Everton has just been bouncing up and down these past few years. Um, I think they've gotten they've, – they've been in better form of late. Um, but they're – I mean, they're scary. They're still down there. Um, I, I think the last four, four – I think you can look at. I think Bournemouth. I expect them to start to begin that uh, that downward spiral. Aston Villa hired an incredible manager, and Unai Sim- or Unai Emery. At least I think he's really good. They just beat Tottenham yesterday. I think they're safe. You know, they're technically only you know like ten points above, but I mean, you never know at this point in time. Uh, I think you know Nottingham Wolves, Southampton has a lot of young talent, but they they have been really really poor this year. Um, the bottom six from Bournemouth to Southampton, I think those are the teams, you know, I guess you can include leads there, but I, I think they'll figure it out. Those, those six teams are the teams to be looking out for to, to go down. Um, it, it's pretty, pretty clear at this point, but there's still a lot to be played and there's only five points separating 13th through 20th, though. I think you're going to see some, um, some separation pretty quickly. I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. This has been Soccer Corner, the fastest growing segment on American soil. He is Weldon Rodenberg. I appreciate the time as always, my man. Another great year in the books. Looking forward to continuing to do this throughout the spring and into what should be an awesome 2023. Um, But again, another great year, my man. We'll send you into the offseason and uh, we'll talk to you, I don't know, right before spring ball, something like that. Sounds good, man. Have a good one. And that was Walden Rodenberg as we send him into the abyss of the offseason. Really appreciate his time as always. Always enjoyed doing the podcast with Weldon as we've made it through year two together of doing this whole thing. Uh, he came on when I started with Rubble Grove and has just made really all the difference in the world. So I really, really appreciate his efforts and uh, looking forward to getting it back to chopping up with him through spring ball and then into what should be a fascinating 2023 season. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. As always, I wish you a safe and happy start to the new year. A lot of good things coming down the pipe. Most immediately, we got my buddy sports agent, Michael Portner coming on the pod later this week. And then a couple other things in the works that I think you'll enjoy. So y'all have a safe and happy start to your year. And uh, we'll talk again here in a couple of days. Thanks.